there, and thank you for listening to the Nudie Brains podcast. My name is Emily, and I will be your host. Today, I'm joined by my friend Amanda, who is soon to have a master's degree in marine science and is also uh, just recently got accepted to a master's program for scientific communication. So, welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so we'll jump straight into the questions. What is your favorite invertebrate? It's funny. I thought you were going to ask me what my favorite sea animal was, and I was going to talk about my secret hidden shame of belugas. But <laughs> obviously it's... You can tell me about belugas, too. It's fine. <laughs> no, they're my vertebrate shame. Uh, obviously, it's nudibranchs, which okay. I imagine is maybe yours, too. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, why do you like nudibranchs? I, I mean, they're just so weird, you know. I think about, <laughs> I think about, you know, people, people in marine science specialize on a particular group, and I think about which ones I seem to like, and they're all just weird, squishy, worm-like things. And nudibranchs are just so good, one at blending in, and two at not blending in. Yeah. At just being like, here I am. And there's so many crazy things. I always say, you know, invertebrates are just as cool as whales and dolphins and things like that. But you have to know a little bit more about them, but. Nudibranchs can, you know, ingest stinging cells that get you when you try to eat them, and they can incorporate chloroplasts from plants and photosynthesize them. They just do these insane things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so why did you start studying science? Oh, that's a good one. It's, it sounds so teen angsty to say it now. When I was really, really young, I wanted to train dolphins, because who Didn't doesn't? we all? Yeah, yeah who doesn't? But... <laughs> Like, when I was in high school, my life was very difficult, and I used to, like, sneak out of my house at night, and I would go and sit on the beach, and so there was very much this feeling that, like, the ocean was a, a constant in my life. God, that's so awful to say. <laughs> but, like, I think I've watched this movie before. Yeah, Moana. yeah. Well, so, like, I, I, I just, I, like, I hated sand until I started surfing in middle school, but I always liked the beach, and, and I kind of came back around to wanting to do it, I thought that the math and the science would, would be too hard for me. But when I started actually doing it and I really enjoyed it, I kind of came back around. So Gotcha. Um, speaking of sand, what do you research? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> funny. I've never made that connection before. Whoa. Um, so for my master's thesis, I study myofauna, which are basically all the little critters that live in between the grains of sand beneath your feet. And it doesn't actually have to be sand. It can be soil or rocks or your floor mats of your car. Um, but basically, myofauna, you might think that you've not heard of them, but water bears or tardigrades have kind of made the jump into popular science, and they're one type of myofauna. But they're a really diverse group. There's, I think, 29 of 36 phyla represented in myofauna, and they're very, very numerous. And I always talk about this quote that this um, nematode biologist from the early 1900s said, where if you took away all the mountains and the streams and the trees and all that stuff, you would still be able to see them because there would just be this ghostly film of nematodes on them. And I, d I really like that quote, honestly. And um, I didn't know anything about myofauna when I came in, but I love this idea of the hidden world that exists where we can't see it. And so I, I look at community structure in myofauna up and down the California coast, um, and I use kind of beach characteristics to look at how those those laundry lists of species change over time. And the idea is that, you know, if you know something about the myofauna, then you can look at how disturbance changes that community, and they're the base of the food web for the sandy beach, so a lot of that magnifies up over time. Mm -hmm. 
And you do that with DNA sequencing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we are a molecular lab or invertebrate lab here at Moss. And so I essentially, I, I do look at them because it's fun, but I don't ever actually have to see the myofauna in my samples at all. <laughs> I basically put a, a chemical into the sand that breaks all the living cells apart and then you just shake the heck out of it. And so you basically have a DNA soup and that's what you sequence. And um, so I will pull the myofauna out because it's fun to look at them, but the DNA is a really powerful tool that has really unlocked what was a very difficult thing to study before when you had to be a, a genius about all of these very weird groups of organisms. Yeah, and sift through a bunch of sand, I'm sure. Yeah. So now that you know, you know, a bunch of the different organisms that actually live in the sand, do you like sand more or less? I like it more. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't freak you out. <laughs> Kind of in the way that, you know, I love eating clams, but it's really, it gets kind of hard because I know what I'm eating or like mussels, you know, I like, I can't think about it too much, but um, I don't, I don't feel that so much in the sand. I just, maybe I've just aged into it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What do you think is one important thing about our planet or climate that everyone needs to know? That, oh, that's a good one. Um, I think that we should be mindful of our ability to change it for good and for bad. Mm -hmm. You know, the climate seems like a thing that is so beyond you, you know, with the day, you have no control over whether the day is sunny or not. But in the long term, you know, cumulatively, people do have the power to alter things like that. And I think being mindful of that in your day-to-day -day practices is important. Cool. What advice do you have for young people who are trying to make a difference on the planet? On the planet? Um, I would say, you know, we all know to bring our bags and use our straws and, and all that stuff. And I think, at least here, you know, we all kind of have gotten that message and those are all important. And I would definitely suggest, you know, getting more into that idea of not recycling so much as reusing and reducing, you know. Um, but also to just... And I, this is kind of like the same thing as like go to graduate school, but like, you know, make yourself available for opportunities that come to you, you know, and, and that was kind of what I had to do when I was an undergrad to even get started was just, I said yes to a lot of things yeah. that led me, you know, kind of from one step to the next. And I think it, it's the same, you know, if, if you're interested in protecting the planet, educate yourself about what you can do to protect the planet and be involved in things that move you towards that end. Yeah, definitely. And just going back to what you said about the reduce, reuse, recycle thing, like I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, people think of it as a collective three things that you can do, but really it's a hierarchy. So yeah. you reduce or reuse, and if you have to, you can recycle. So yeah. And it is in the right order, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yes. reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, awesome. What is one thing that you would say to climate change deniers? To deniers? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I was thinking this morning that I think I would actually enjoy being a lawyer and I think that I could be good at it. I like to listen to like true crime podcasts and I was listening to some opening statements at the Supreme Court, but I'm really incapable of not being riled and I think that I would struggle in that regard. So, you know, I have had, I have been exposed to climate deniers and I find it very hard to speak to them. And so what I would say is that, it, you know, it's already happening and I would... What I would say is that so much of what is wrong about what they're saying is born out of misinformation or misunderstanding of mm -hmm. what is happening. And it comes back to this idea of, you know, you assume that climate is so out, far outside of human control that 
how, you know, how could we do anything? But, you know, I would encourage people to just educate themselves. And it's hard because we tend to surround ourselves with people who feel the same way that we feel. And so we're just shouting into an echo chamber that's shouting back to us. But I do try, not always perfectly, to get at the different viewpoints. And I would just encourage people to do the same. You know, just read what you're going to read objectively and think it through and be at least open to hearing different viewpoints. And I would say that to anyone. It wouldn't even just be a climate denier. Yeah. You're um, wrong, also. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a great. It's not a helpful discussion. But but yeah, no, I I see where you're getting at. Um, Do you think that the the kind of disparity between people understanding and believing in climate change versus those who don't comes from scientists not communicating it well enough, or where do you think that kind of started? I think it's. I think that's part of it, and that's you know that's kind of my whole thing behind it is I just I don't always love getting up in front of a group of people and speaking or putting my words out where people can read them, but I think that it is a fundamental part of our job, and I don't think that that is an opinion that is shared by many scientists. Yeah. And regardless of whether or not I like doing it, you know, I think we should, and it's something that we should at least be practicing. You know, we don't have to be perfect, but we should, we should be, it's any other skill that we have as a scientist, we should be working on it. And so I think part of it is there's a disconnect between how things are presented. But I think a big part of it is just, you know, people also don't want to hear it. You know, I read a BBC article this morning that was saying that in, it was somewhere in Africa where Ebola, an Ebola outbreak is yeah. happening, as in they, they um, gave out a survey to people, like 900 people, and a third of them didn't believe that Ebola was real. They thought that it was made up to destabilize the region where Whoa. they lived. And it blew my mind. And it's literally just distrust. Yeah. And I think some of it comes from not being able to understand it. But, you know, there's just bad blood. And yeah. it's, I think that the only way to get around that is to just put yourself out there and humanize yourself. You know, mm-hmm. like, we're just people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to just bring it to a place where you can just have a very frank discussion about it. Yeah, definitely. There was um, one time where I went out to dinner with my dad. And there was a guy at the next table over who was an older gentleman with some older friends. And he was trying to explain to them that climate change is not real because when the Soviet Union fell, um, they stopped taking temperature measurements in Siberia. And it took everything in me to knock over to him and be like, sir, we use satellites now. You know, it's fine. There was a guy behind me at a, like a dollar store. And we, were, we got to talking about plastic bags. And he was telling me that, like, plastic pollution or like plastic bags being tacked or like charging for plastic bags is all a conspiracy because they only do it close to the ocean but one I don't think that's true anymore but two I was trying to explain to him that like those are the communities where plastic pollution is impacting those communities you know and it was just I my friend lived right across the street and she had a like a sample of water at her house that had all these microplastics in it just and I wanted to like run over there and get it be like look at what you're doing it's it's hard. It, you know, there's, you hear it and it's like, is it your duty? I mean, it's kind of, I don't think that like busting into someone's breakfast conversation is the way to go, but it's hard to hear. <laughs> I don't know. I was really motivated to in that moment. But yeah, no, like, you know, you say it is happening in a lot of coastal towns that people are making these changes. But when I went to Nebraska last summer, I went to the grocery store without my own bag and like without my own produce bags. And I felt awful. I was like, all these people are going to judge me because I didn't come prepared like I normally do. 
and nobody even batted an eye. No. They wanted to like double or triple plastic yeah. bag my stuff. And I'm like, no, you don't need to do that. It's okay. So yeah, it's definitely a movement that needs to be spread. Well, even inland here, I was just in, um, in Placerville over the weekend and I remember I stood up to go to the bathroom and we were the only table that wasn't using straws. Oh my gosh. And it's, yeah. And it's like, I just, I don't understand. I guess it's when you're far removed, you just don't see the issue. But like intuitively, it makes sense to me that we should not be putting plastic into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's hard to separate it out from like, it's my job to know that. But, um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an uh, equivalent, you know, I don't live in Nebraska, but I certainly don't want climate change to negatively impact Nebraska. I, it's not, yeah. it's a bad analogy, but you know, I'm trying to think of something where like you don't see the impact but you know in your mind that you want it to be one way or the other. That's a bad answer. <laughs> well, I think, that, like, maybe this is what you're trying to get at, that, you know, some of our parents or grandparents who are on board with climate change see these things happening and are concerned about the future generations, right? It's not something that they're going to see the impact of, but they care about it. Is that sure. kind of where you're getting at? Or just the idea that, you know, out of sight shouldn't necessarily mean out of mind. Yeah. You know, and I, like, I went vegetarian two months ago. And Congratulations! It's, thanks, and it's not even like an animal welfare thing. Although I, that's a you know I do I care about that. But yeah. we, I was in the climate change seminar course, and we read this paper, or I read this paper to present, and I just picked it out of a pile. And it was it it was this paper about really just the environmental impact of eating meat. And I know all of those things, and I know why we shouldn't, and X, Y, and Z. But I had never seen the numbers laid out in that way and they were so stark and so troubling and it took a year but it I couldn't stop thinking about yeah, it we took that class last spring yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I kept thinking about it and that is literally why it just you know I, I didn't eat seafood for a long time and I would say that it was because you know there are people in the world where fish is their primary source of protein and they don't have a choice yeah and I want them to have that. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I yeah. don't need it. Yeah. I can choose. And so I think it's kind of the same. It's a little bit more difficult because it is a drastic change. And I'm not so militant about it, but I am really making making efforts to make that change. And it's it's because I'm trying to think about the broader implications of my consumer choices. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, if you ever want to share vegetarian recipes, let me know. Oh, I'm working on it. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then unless you have anything else you wanted to talk about, um, it is now time for you to share an obscure fact or pun about a marine animal or Oh, it could be an obscure fact? Oh, that's way easier. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you do both? Because I know you have a pun prepared, too. Okay. <laughs> This is, I'm not proud of this by any means. <laughs> this is, I, these were all sprung on me. I had no choice. Actually, you know which one I think I actually like? I, I really like the idea of like, keep your friends close, keep your anemones closer. I just, that one. But for an obscure fact, um, do kids listen to this show? I don't know. I really like the... We can always beep out things. No, I just, I always <laughs> like the barnacles have the longest penis to body ratio. Of any living thing because they can't move. That's an anatomical fact. And I, I just, think that's I like, it just, like, I just flies like around. the idea. That I wish that people could see your arm yeah. just like flailing around like a barnacle. Or tool. there's, um, I love, you know, the, the melobies that they smell like watermelon Jolly Ranchers when you take them out of the water. And they really do. It's a type of nudibranch. Um, and we used to have them, they would wash in through the seawater system at Long and we would, they would grow and we would get them. And they really do. They Are, smell like watermelon. Are they the ones that have the big hood? Yeah. Yeah. Those Actually, really cool. my favorite nudibranch, it's um, Melibi, it's Col Colmeni, 
and it's called the ghost hooded nudibranch, and I would highly recommend looking it up. It's, it's clear, perfectly clear, except for all the digestive glands, which are white. Oh. It's the craziest looking thing I've ever seen. Um, or that Moss Landing has a nudibranch named after it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Cere- was it Cerebelli Moss Landica? Yeah. Our uh, advisor before our advisor was a nudibranch guy, and he named it after yeah. us. That's super cool. Um, well, if people want to follow you on social media, where is a good place to find you? Yeah. So on most, I think on most platforms, I'm at Scatter Cushion, usually with an underscore, um, like a throw pillow, but Scatter Cushion. Um, or you I just can, got that. Yeah. That's what they call them in Australia. And I just thought it was like so whimsical. That's so cute. Uh, so that's Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then I also have my website, which is www.mandahight.com. Com, and that's got pretty much most of what I'm up to. Great. Well, if I have any um, climate change deniers come on the podcast, I'll have to call you in to freak it out. out it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, don't they're wrong. No, just kidding. We'll have a very, uh, very good Civil discussion. Com- yes. Literally, I have to like email Ivano, who's our climate change professor, and be like, explain this to me in a simple way so I can share it with other people. I've done that <laughs> on multiple occasions where somebody will send me an article that's, you know, like, oh, this isn't, like, this study says this, and they obviously didn't read the study, and, like, it's talking about one specific spot, and I freak out, and I have to be like, Ivano, how do I, please help me. (laughs) I'll have to have him on the podcast. Yeah, he's a funny dude. He would be great. (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nudie Brains podcast. I just wanted to give a special shout out to my friend Jared, who put together the music at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on social media at Jared Chance Taylor. And also to my friend Nick, who put together the really awesome logo. Um, You can find him on Instagram at subsurface underscore style. So don't forget to um, leave a review of this podcast and also subscribe. Um, I'm really looking forward to the upcoming guests in the next few weeks. So um, subscribing is the best way to ensure that you get the podcast directly on your phone when it comes out. Thanks so much, everyone.